Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and local infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Happy New Year, everyone. This is episode 64 and our first episode of 2021. May this year be a thousand times better than last. I mean, 2020 left the bar pretty low, so... It's got to be only up from here, folks. (laughs) Okay, in all seriousness, today's show is sort of a follow-up to episode 36, The Adoption Option, where we interviewed Clifton Gutterman back in the summer of 2020. Clifton shared his journey through the adoption process and revealed that he and his partner Chad had been matched with a birth mother and were due to become parents in August of 2020 to a little girl. Everything seemed to be headed in the right direction with the adoption until five days after their soon-to-be daughter was born. Things ended up taking a very different turn. So stay tuned for the events that transpired after her birth. Hey guys, a friendly reminder to please rate, review, and subscribe to Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. This show is offered for free to people who are going through infertility and finding different pathways to parenthood. And your support helps reach more people and helps spread the message about the show. Giving us a five-star rating and writing us a quick note in the comments section will help ensure that we reach a larger audience. So thanks for your support and encouragement. Clifton, welcome back to the show. It is so lovely to be here and be with you today. Thank you, Millie. It's wonderful to be with you, too. I have missed hanging out with you. (laughs) (laughs) Virtually. But I've loved keeping up on social media, and um, I had a great time last time, and you're so wonderful to ask me back and follow up with our journey, which has been a roller coaster. (laughs) Yes. Well, let's dive in. You know, the last time we spoke, you were matched with an expectant mother in Louisiana, who was about to give birth to a baby girl in August. Walk us through the events that took place after our conversation. Yeah, so I checked back, and you and I spoke at the end of May, and earlier in May on Mother's Day was when we officially matched. And um, so we spent the time uh, from matching over the next three months, getting to know, um, and I'm going to call the baby's mother Cameron's mother, because we named our baby Cameron, and the mother was involved in the naming of that uh, of, of Cameron. We still think of her as Cameron. Cameron is the name that went on the birth certificate. So I still, my husband and I still say Cameron, and we say Cameron's mom. So we spent um, May and June and July and August getting to know Cameron's mother more. That was basically like a weekly phone call, a lot of texting back and forth a lot of photos of our life. She would share ultrasounds and updates on her life and her boys. She has two small boys. And it was just kind of wonderful 
there were no red flags. It was all very positive, very, um, she would see things we'd post on social media, including uh, the podcast I did with you. She, loved she heard it. this, she, she heard listened it. to this episode. She did. And she wrote me immediately and said, I'm listening to it now. And it's so beautiful to hear uh, how you all have approached this and your plans for Cameron. So it was just pretty much bliss, Millie. And we, we made a decision with her and our agency to go out and visit her one month before the birth. So we took a trip to Louisiana. We met her, spent an afternoon with um, Cameron's mother and her boys. She was visibly pregnant, glowing. It was the chattiest we had, had, had seen her. It was so wonderful to get to know more about her life. And how far along was she at that she point? She was one month away from birth. She was, Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you traveled from Atlanta to Louisiana to Louisiana during a pandemic. We did, and we were very careful about how we did it, and um, we were very safe, and we did everything we could. But we felt it. We felt it was it was very important to meet her in person and not let the hospital time be the very first time we ever met her under the condition of birth and. And COVID in a hospital. So we, she came to our hotel. We went out by the pool and we spent three or four hours with her and her two boys. And what was wonderful about it, Millie, is that she got, we got to play with her two children under three. She got to see us kind of be parents for three hours and we brought them toys and we played with them and fed them and we got lunch and they were climbing all over us. It was just joy. And she got, to talk about herself more. We got to see her in person beyond a phone. Uh, it was, we left that meeting. What was so special about the end of that meeting is the little, the older one who was like three, he got cranky near the end of the three hours and she knew it was time to take them home. And we helped put her boys in their car seats. And the little one, the older one was crying and he said, can they come home with us? Can Ch- oh, and Chad, and, and, Chad and Clifton oh, come home with God, us? I know. I know. Oh, gosh. So it was just, we just, after they left, we went and had like a cocktail by the pool and we were both sort of like, that went so well. And, you know, we got to be with her and in her world and her state. She got to see us. And, you know, she texted, there was this text exchange immediately afterwards, which is, uh, was wonderful. And she was like, you guys are exactly the way I thought you were. You, you are the way you appeared on video and you are the way you sound on the phone. You, you are who you say you are. And this makes me so happy. So it, every single sign was just, um, and, and she was beautiful. I mean, we knew she was beautiful and we knew she had beautiful family, but we were, we were struck by how, um, how positive she was and how assured she was of her plan. And we spent those months making a very detailed plan of what the hospital visits would look like, what what the post-placement plan would look like, how open it would be. And it was a negotiation and she had ideas and we basically accepted everything she wanted. And it was a very open adoption with a lot of contact. And we signed these things. I mean, we made a plan that she was a part of and um, that trip out just reinforced the good feelings on all sides. There were text exchanges flying with our agent from her, selling her our agent. How great it went. We were telling our agent. So we left that trip just on cloud Feeling nine. good. Flying high. 
And then August goes on. Yeah. 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 Bring us up to August. Yeah. So we, we, we kind of, there was a two or three week period where we were a little unsure about when the birth would actually happen. It was going to be a scheduled birth because she had a pre-existing medical condition where her doctor did not want her to go to full term, but wanted to induce a couple of weeks early. And we just kind of kept getting mixed messages on when exactly it would happen. But when we finally heard it would happen, we got a scheduled inducement date and we, it was going to be on like on a Tuesday and we headed out over the weekend, packed up the bags, put all the baby stuff in the car, car seats, carriers, bassinet, stroller, tons of diapers, tons of formula, tons of clothes, tons of everything. You loaded up, you loaded everything. We were in mega dad mode. We were we had our dad twenty twenty hats on. We had our dad t shirts on. We were on cloud nine, mm-hmm. and we go out and check into a hotel. And we kind of already knew that it was going to be uh, iffy whether or not we were going to get to be in the hospital for the birth because of COVID, and because we learned very quickly that the hospital was full, and there were two hurricanes barreling toward that part of Louisiana. So they were kind of on lockdown too about who could and couldn't come and go from the hospital. So we were pretty clear as soon as we got there that we would not be there for the day of the birth. But our, but Cameron's mother had chosen our agent, our adoption agent um, to be her person in the hospital with her. They became very close over this process and she did not want anyone from her own family with her uh, due to relationships, she wanted um, our agent with her. So our agent flew out, and she was at the hospital for all of it. And quick question. Yeah. Cameron's mother, her agent was the same as your agent? She didn't have an agent. Got it. She wasn't working through, she, she wasn't working through an agency. She found us on her own through uh, an adoption website and she contacted our agency. Our agency is like a lot of agencies. They work with both birth mothers and adoptive couples. So our agent was counseling both us and her. Got it. Up to an, a point. And our, and our, and so Cameron's mother chose our agent to be her person in the hospital, which was wonderful for us because she was kind of our, person on the ground like she was documenting it all through photos and video and we would get you know we got a text like okay they're inducing and then we got a text you know like she is starting to push and then we got a video of the of Cameron coming out and screaming and being suctioned and wiped down and then we got a welcome to the world Cameron video and and then we even got a couple of selfies from Cameron's mother herself like holding Cameron and so we were getting some sort of real-time um, updates from the hospital, uh, fr- from both of them. And this was on a Tuesday, and we pretty were, we were pretty certain we weren't going on in on Tuesday. But you know, the next day was Tuesday was was Wednesday, and um, they uh, wanted to keep the baby for a couple of reasons. She was fine, but they had a couple of levels they wanted to even out medical things before they let her go. Um, Cameron's mother was very eager to, to get checked out, to go be with her family who were evacuating to another part of the state. Oh gosh, because of the hurricanes. 
So everybody worked it out with the hospital that we would come and take physical custody of Cameron in the hospital, be with her there until she was able to be discharged. Cameron's mother would go ahead and leave and go be with her family. And we would wait out the waiting period before termination of rights um, you know, in Louisiana as always planned. How long is that period? Seven days in Louisiana. So she was born on a Tuesday, a Tuesday and Cameron's mother was set to terminate rights the next Monday with an appointment at our lawyer's office, who was also her lawyer, but uh, retained by us. Got it. And um, everything went great. You know, we spent the night in the hospital. She was a dream come true. She was everything and more than we could have ever wanted. She was a gorgeous child, chill, um, slept. You you just, it was like the perfect introduction to parenting. We were utterly in love. We were before we ever met her, but. And you guys were able to spend five days in the hotel with her. We were, we were. And, you know, throughout all that time, Millie, it was really interesting. At her choice, uh, Cameron's mother wanted updates. We, We had set up an email address as part of our plan that she would, we could send her photos and videos and she could check it only if she wanted. So we checked in with her and we said, do you want, you know, daily updates sent to the email address, you know, to look at it if you choose. And she said, yes, please. And she was looking at them daily and she would write us a text right back about what she just saw in the email. So we know she was seeing them and she was praising, you know, Oh, you guys are doing so great. And she looks so happy and Oh, you're going to make great dads. And, I love your feeding station. I love your diaper chain, the hotel, like you've made it your own. Like I'm so, so positive. I kept saying, I'm so confident in my choice. So this is where things turned near the weekend Um, in Louisiana and some other States, but not all for private adoption. A mother is required to have two therapy sessions between birth and termination of rights. And with a counselor and we, that is, we paid for that. I mean, we, our lawyer found that social worker from his list, booked the appointments. It was, it had to happen and it had to be documented and you had to show that she, the mother did go for counseling. So she was set to have a one hour session on a Saturday and a second one hour session on a Sunday. And then the Monday was the day for termination of rights so around the time of that first session on Saturday is when all contact stopped and we stopped hearing back from her and our agency stopped hearing back from her and the lawyer stopped hearing back from her. Nobody, she had not officially canceled her appointment to terminate rights or had not said anything to anyone. We just weren't hearing anything from a mother who was very communicative all week. On Sunday, we heard from the lawyer that he had heard from the social worker that she was, the female social worker was very concerned that Cameron's mother was having serious doubts and was wavering and questioning her choice. Even then, our agent reassured us that, you know, all was not lost. I've seen this happen. It is a very hard thing. Mothers do waver. Almost all of the time, they stick with the plan. If they were able to leave the hospital without their child, they tend to stick with the plan. You know, I'm not, I don't want us to freak out yet. She hasn't said anything. We're just hearing what a social worker has interpreted. Um, 
but the lawyer did warn us. And then, you know, this is around four or five on a Sunday afternoon. Around four or five, we get a text from Cameron's mother saying, I know you'll probably hate me. I have to have her back. I don't see a life without my daughter. I have to come get her tonight. Where are you? What's your address? Oh. And the bottom fell out of our lives. It just came as an utter shock. And we immediately called the team, the agent and the lawyer, and we did a big group call, and I read out the text. And, you know, basically our agent, well, they were shocked. Everyone was shocked. They just thought never in a million years saw it coming. And our agent said, call her, leave her a voicemail, and say, we cannot do this by text. Please call us back. We spent months getting to know you and building this relationship and plan. You owe us a call to talk to us about what's changed. What has changed in your situation, which prompted you to make an adoption plan? What has changed in the world that Cameron's been brought into that now we are, you're changing everything? The, the guys, you know, we, you owe us that. And she did text right back and she said, you're right, I owe you that. And she called and it was... Really, it was the most awkward and hard conversation of my life. Oh, I can't imagine. We did most. We did most of the talking. It was clear, and I and I don't mean to to, to criticize her, her here in the sense that I don't know what it's like to birth a human being from my body, see that human being go to someone else, and desperately want that human back, and think I can't live without that human. I do know what some of those feelings feel like but I'm not a woman and I don't know what all of them feel like. So I can't say why she behaved the way she behaved on the phone, except that it was a traumatic weekend for all of us. But what was hard about that phone call is that we had, it was like pulling teeth for us. We had to ask all the questions and there was very little answer on the other end, except I have to have her. Mm-hmm. And we said things like, You know, and Millie, here's my husband who is not a big crier, and I'm the biggest crier on the planet, sobbing his way through this phone call and begging. I've never seen, you know, my husband beg. And and we're begging for her not to do it. And we are saying, please tell us what changed in your circumstances. we, We talked for months about the circumstances that led you to choose an adoption plan, which are very smart ones. So why is today different beyond grief, beyond the, the, the feeling that if I just get her back, it might, all the pain might go away? What about the future and all the, all the reasons we laid out for adoption? And the, answer, the only answer really we got was it was none of our business. And we didn't have a right to ask that. Oof. Which is tough because we felt we really did have a right. Yeah. We felt we really were entitled to some sort of answer. And then I think my husband said, you know, are you, are you making the decision that is best for you at this moment and your pain, or are you making the best decision for Cameron? Okay, your husband sounds like just an incredible... Oh, he's the dream machine. ...human. Like, to be able to even have the wherewithal... Through sobbing. Yeah, through sobbing to articulate those questions is just beautiful. 
I love, I fell in love with them even more. And, and we'll talk about that later, but we did actually get closer even than we thought we were throughout all of this because I saw him not only parent and be really good at it, but I saw him manage grief and help me manage grief. And, but, you know, and, and we asked her what, had, you know, is this, is this to make your life better or hers? And again, the answer was, that's a mean question to ask. You shouldn't be asking me that. So in the end, it just turned into a lot of silence. And I think the last thing was said, I said, are you 100% telling us that you have changed your mind and that we, we have to give her back? And she said, yes, and it has to happen tonight. And I said, okay, we need to, you know, talk to our team. I need to talk to the lawyer and the agent and, she hung up on us and that was really hard because we we really had gotten to love this person and trust her wishes and felt that she trusted us and we had kept her baby beautifully alive and loved for five days and what was also hard about that Millie is you know and I, I I'm not judging her for not checking on us in that phone call and not asking about us but in in whatever she was going through, there was no compassion for what we were going through. Our lives were destroyed in a text, and so were our parents, who were about to be grandparents, and all this circle of friends. So we did say, do you know what this is will do to us? Do you know what this will do to our families? And and and, and in whatever reality she was in at the moment, it just wasn't room for compassion and that made it hard because we had come to love her as a person who was that way so that added some salt to the wound of what was happening there was no co- concern really for our end and or and the financial the financial um, loss that was about to happen the mo- the months and years that, of the then and now then us needing to start completely over from ground zero None of it, and I and I understand. I guess I can understand that that wasn't her concern. That wasn't her priority. It was about her and her baby, but it hurt. It added hurt. Absolutely. So then, you know, I, I basically said, um, we got on the phone with the team, and I said, I. So she was three hours away from New Orleans. We were in New Orleans at this point in the hotel, and she was away three hours away. So she had said in her text or her call, "I'm three hours away from wherever you are in New Orleans." Tell me the address and I'll get her tonight. And I told the lawyer, I said, I can't physically walk onto a street corner in New Orleans and hand this baby to, to this woman. I, <gasps> I mean, I'm sweating right now. I need to, this I, is. I said I can't do Yeah, it. yeah, you can't just hand, hand, like where, where's the, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm going back to like, all of the months of preparation to prepare for this and then to just um, rewind and reverse. That is, that, that to me seems like there needs to be another process. Well, I said, I said, I could make myself go out there on the street, but I don't want that to be the last image seared in my brain of this child. I don't want the last thing I remember to be a very dramatic scene on a street corner with me giving a baby back that I thought was mine, that I loved and named and 
prepped for for months. I, I can't. What can we do, guys? Because I, I was like, I can't do it. And the lawyer had been through something similar, and he said, I will call her and say she can come to my law office at a certain time tonight. You guys show up about thirty minutes early and leave the baby with me and my wife, and you'll never have to see her. And you can say goodbye in my office, and I'll give her, I'll give Cameron back to her mom. And that's what we did. Packed her up. We said our goodbyes. We told her how much we loved her, and we told her we would always be a part of her life, and she would always be in our hearts. And we fed her one last time, and changed her, and put her back in a simple onesie and the little hat she came from the hospital in. And we drove to this grubby lawyer's office underneath an underpass in New Orleans. It felt like literally, Millie, I felt like I was in a Lifetime movie of the week. Like it, oh it was gosh. like I was watching a movie of my life. Yeah. And, and we hand her to this woman we've never met, his wife, and say goodbye. And then I, I we go back into a car full of baby things and silence. And suddenly we are, in one second, we are a three-person family. And five seconds later, we are back to two guys, a married couple, surrounded by baby things with no baby. So when we last spoke, um, one of the things that really struck me um, when I heard your news of a disrupted ab- adoption, which is the correct term. it's th- There are many terms, and I checked in with our agent and it kind of depends on who you ask, but the most common term for what happened is a disrupted adoption. And it can come in different stages of the process, but kind of you you tend to call an adoption a disrupted one if it happens before you, you go before a judge and the birth certificate is changed and you are formally, officially parents. If something happens between the birth and that point, it's ten. It's usually called a disruption. Got it. Well, so when we talked in um, episode thirty-six, the adoption option, you expressed this exact fear of Cameron mother Cameron's mother changing her mind. What went through your head when you realized your greatest fear was becoming a reality? Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, I'll tell you the physical sensation first. It's like being on one of those rides at an amusement park, the free fall rides, where you're taken up super high in something and dropped. I felt like my stomach left my body. Like when I saw... uh, like. I mean, we had a little bit of the primer and the lawyer warning us that she was wavering. But even then, our agent was saying, that happens. It, it, it may not be the end. It was when the text came that my stomach like dropped. And then there was an immediate tightening of the chest if you've ever had an anxiety attack. I didn't have an anxiety attack, but I had the symptoms of my chest is incredibly tight. My hands are tingling panic i mean panic um but then mentally i think what was happening was you know just just like statistically only like i I looked again and like we asked right after it happened and then i researched it 
myself again yesterday, six to 11% or so of all adoptions in the U.S. are disrupted or don't work out. It's very pretty low. And I think what happened in that moment, I was like, why us? Like, I thought, why are we? Like, the odds were so in our favor. How is this happening to us? We've done everything we could to make it right. We, we established this really long, very open relationship for this very reason. We visited for this very reason. Everyone was telling us, like, the closer you can get to the mom, the less likely she is to change her mind. And, you know, so much had already happened, too, in 2020 that was negative. I think in my head I was also saying, like, how, this was supposed to be the good news of 2020 for us. Like, this was supposed to be, and our families, like, this was supposed to be the joy that kind of helped all the rest of it go away. Why is this happening to us? Well, you know, what? I knew in the back of my head that we didn't do anything to deserve it. I knew that we didn't do anything wrong. I knew that we didn't upset her in any way. I knew that we didn't, like, she didn't see pictures of us parenting badly and then change her mind. Like, I knew we had done everything we were supposed to do and then some. But I think in that moment, I just thought, oh, my worst nightmare has come true. And like I think I told you in May, the only red flag was not anything she gave us. It was the clear sort of just fact that she had two boys and was pregnant with a girl. So the only concern was she might meet a female child and say, well, I want a daughter now. And I, I didn't know I wanted a daughter until I saw my daughter. And that's exactly what happened. But there was nothing we could have done differently about that, nor would we have. Describe the five days with Cameron. Oh, they were just bliss. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I don't know what you're experiencing, like, as a soon-to-be parent or others, but, like, you can, you know, I had told myself, like, all these years, this is what I want. I, I really want this, and I want it with Chad. But there was always a voice in your head, particularly as like two dads and as a person who's not been around a bunch of babies. You know, I didn't have any younger siblings. I never had to care for a child. I haven't changed a lot of diapers. You know, there was a voice in my head that said, what if you're bad at this? Or like, what if you don't bond? What if you're scared about dropping her? What if you or what if the sleep deprivation stresses you out and makes you a bad person? What if you don't like what if you thought you wanted this and when you see it, you want your old life back? And the opposite of all of those things happened. Like the second I saw her, I thought, that's my kid. I will do anything for her. I have a new purpose in life that I did not even know I could feel. Um, sorry if I get emotional. Please. I, this is you. This is the space. This is all for you. Within a day, I was doing the one-handed pickup, you know, with her in one hand and a bottle in the other. And I was never scared of dropping her. I, I felt very safe, you know, picking her up and changing her. And I loved the way she smelled. <laughs> I loved this little sound she made. I was obsessed. I mean, I was just like, I couldn't stop watching her. 
And I love watching my husband do all of those things too. You know, I thought I thought we would be a good couple and I thought, I mean, good parents. I thought we'd be a great team. It kind of blew all expectations out of the water when I saw it in action. I was like, oh, he's really good at this. And oh, we're actually kind to each other through this. I mean, we're always kind to each other, but you know, some couples, it, 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 and, it, and it, listen, I know it could have got, it may not have been bliss later. She could have been a holy monster, you know, or she could have had periods where she didn't sleep for weeks. I know it wasn't going to always be, but for a test run for two, two dads who've never done it before, it was the perfect baby at the perfect time. And, and it was a perfect five days. It was just, um, I can't even describe parents out there will know what I'm talking about, but I just instantly felt like a new chapter of of life had begun. And I have never loved anything beyond my husband that deeply. You and Chad have been very open about your journey on social media. Has this experience shifted your perspective or your approach at all to the adoption process? You know, it hasn't. I will tell you a little later if you want to know, like some things we might do a little differently in terms of matching this next time, but it hasn't changed about how we talk about it or about our social media. I mean, for one, I'm pretty active on social media. He is not at all. So I'm the one of our couple, of the couple who does that, baby or no baby, adoption or no adoption. But when we first met our agent, one of the things that she was very clear about is in 2020, Social media is a very big part of the adoption process. Couples have accounts, they're on websites, they're Instagramming it, they're hashtagging all of these various um, hashtags that a lot of young women, mothers who are thinking about choosing adoption hit onto when they're, you know, on social media. And so it was pretty much, you know, said to us, like, we really want, we really want you to be very active and we'll do it or you can do it or we can do a combination of both. And, you know, and they'll part of your budget is them taking some of the marketing part of our budget to boost some of these posts and help them spread. So it was always part of it. And I was fine with that because, um, uh, I, I love taking photos and I love talking about our life and, you know, and, and, and it, the, the mother, Cameron's mother, pointed out how much she loved seeing all of those things on social media. It was very important and helpful in her making her decision. So we know it works. And it also, you know, as a gay couple, like we have a lot of people in our circle, and though, like, none of our very close gay friends have children. We have people who, you know, people on on the outside of our circles. And, you know, I think it was uplifting to a lot of people. It was inspiring to a lot of people. And I could see that happening. And I was, I just wanted to continue it. It it really helped us in the down times or in the times where we were waiting to match. Or it certainly has helped in this grieving process to, to have all that extra support. I know some people may think privately or say, oh, why, you know, why did you put it all out there? Once you put it all out there and then it fell through, you have to put the fall through out there and, and, and it's so sad. And, but I think that's all part of it. 
And I think it's educational, just like this podcast with you. I think the more people can that can see that it can happen to anybody, well, and backing up a step, I think it also just helps people realize how very precious the process is and how many steps there are and how hard it is for so many people to have children who want to have children. And that there are people out there who just want to build their families and they'll do anything they can to do it. And if that means a community of support on social media, I'll do it. You know, and, and I think people, I know I heard people reach out to me and said that they learned from the podcast, they learned from our post, they learned things they didn't know about the challenges of adoption. And they'll probably learn things from this podcast too. And, you know, so I, we would do it again and we are doing it again. We're still posting. We're already, we talked very openly about the disruption. We've talked about the grieving process and the hoping to match again. And we're going to, and you know, once we're a family again, we'll have a family account. I know there are people and I, I know a couple in my life and, my community here who don't want pictures of their kids on social media, who are those families. Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want my kid to be on social media till the kid has their own accounts when they're a teenager or whatever. And, but we're just not that where I'm not going to be that kind of parent. I've wanted to do it for so long that my kid's going to be on social media. (laughs) My kid's going to be on Instagram. Yeah. She was, she was for five days. Yeah. And I don't have any problem with it. And you can disagree with me or not, but I'm celebrating that, you know, I waited till I was 44 years old to, to have a kid and I'm damn proud that it's worked out or going to work out. And I was very proud that it worked out for five days and I'll tell the whole world about her. She can be mad at me later if she wants to be mad at 12 that there was a baby picture of her and, you know, in a diaper, we can have a talk about that. <laughs> what things have changed? Or altered? So, you know, our agent was very uh, distraught as we were, particularly because our agent was in the hospital with Cameron's mother holding her hand through all of this. So there, there was a sense of betrayal on all sides. Um, but we had a conversation shortly after the dust settled about what we would do next. And, you know, Chad and I both agree that I can't do that again. I can't have a child in my arms and possibly give a child back. It will kill me. And I know it'll kill him. I just cannot do it. So any future matches for us are going to have to be, we don't meet the baby until rights are terminated. And is that different in different states? Like, has it changed the range of your search? Um, No, I mean, we'll still, um, there is something called cradle care and 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 uh, to make a long story short what you can do in in many states is a mother can give birth to a baby who has she's chosen adoption as her plan but say there are 10 days in that state that she cannot terminate rights until the 11th day that's what that state says but you know no one thinks it's a great idea for the mother to take that baby home for 10 days because she's probably going to then decide to keep the baby so you can put the, ba- the baby into cradle care with a licensed professional who takes the baby into their home and is kind of a nurse and a nanny and raise, cares for the baby for the 10 days until the mother terminates rights. Then the adoptive couple claims the baby. And so we have said that we would certainly be okay with that 
and then we would, you know, you'd get photo updates and video updates and you might see the child through photos, but I don't think either one of us can do it again where we hold a baby and raise a baby and love a baby for days just to possibly give her back. So that we're doing that. When you shared this news on Facebook, in the comments below the post, there were a few other people that it also experienced a disrupted adoption. How common is this and how common is this in the gay community? Uh, yeah, it, that surprised me. Um, you know, I I didn't think it happened all that much. It's still pretty low. It's like 6 to 11% of, of, of adoptions in the U.S. are disrupted. And that means a lot of them are very successful. And I will say, talking to our agent, the last time this happened to her was 10 years ago. So she hasn't happened. She hasn't happened, had it happen in 10 years until us. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty rare. However, I do belong to this amazing um, international gay fathers group on Facebook. It's 9,000 members and they have been wonderful and they were joyous when we matched and they were thrilled when we introduced Cameron and they were all incredibly supportive when I posted that we had to give her back. And in that post, several of them said it had happened to them. Um, and a couple of guys said it happened to them twice. And that's when my brain just went, okay, once just about did me in. I don't know how anyone survives it twice because it does feel like a death. Yeah, there's a loss there. There's a massive loss. Yeah, you are caring for a living, breathing thing that you've named, that you've invested months of emotional prep into and daydreams of holidays and trips and a life. And she's just there one minute and not the next. I know she's still alive and we did get an update that she's healthy. And I do know the mother changed her name. We know she's okay. And that helps. But it does feel like a death. And the grieving and all of the steps of grief have been there. And they are still coming in waves. When I heard your news, I felt like I went through the seven stages of grief. Yeah. You know, questioning, sad, angry, resentful, questioning, you know, like just mm -hmm. repeating, like going on spin Shock. cycle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everyone in our circle did. And yeah, you just, I think you see someone try so, so hard for something, love it so much, be so excited for it to happen, and it just be taken from them. It's terrible. When planning for this interview, you mentioned that there were some insensitive sentiments and maybe misguided and unsolicited advice that came your way after this happened. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yes. You know, and I'll, I'll preface this, Millie, by saying, like, I know anyone had intentions were good. I know that anybody who commented meant well. And they, you know, perhaps they have not spoken to someone who's been through this exact thing. And they don't know really how to say it in a way that's helpful. And they just, they're just trying to, to be nice or comforting. Um, but it, you know, it was a, it's a good lesson in words really matter. And you just kind of have to think before you type or speak. But I'll give you a couple of them. Um, 
one of them that was both humorous and, and in a way ignorant and just misinformed is very quickly someone in our community wrote on my post, the disruption post, you guys should look at Texas. It's only a two-day window in Texas. If you should adopt from Texas. And, you know, my inner monologue goes, oh, yeah, because it's that easy. <laughs> I know, I know. Let's get to say. Like, let's just, let's just pack up all our things. <laughs> only Texas, please. We don't want to look at anybody else. You know, and you, know, you can laugh at it because you're like, well, that's not helpful. It, do you, don't you think we've explored... You don't just get to say as an adoptive couple, only Texas, please, because it's the easiest state. This is not easy, and it's not meant to be not meant to be easy. And if we did that, we'd be waiting for ten years. If we were going to limit ourselves to the, the easiest states, we'd probably never have a kid. And you know, and I didn't respond to that person, and no one else did. But I just thought that is an unhelpful comment. Yeah, you know. And then some in-person things, which were a little harder to navigate because they came from people I love. And, you know, we're in the South, and I grew up religious, but I'm not necessarily that religious as an adult. And But we certainly um, uh, respect religion and faith, and we have a lot of people in our, in our lives who it, it, it means it is a great big part of their life. So we certainly got a version or two of the, this just wasn't God's plan. Oh, oh gosh, I just, I'm flipping tables. Yeah. God has better, God has better plans for you, or God has another different baby for you in mind. And I will say my inner monologue response to that is, uh, no, actually, she was our baby. This was the plan. This was what we worked at for months. If God, if he or she is out there, is a God who lets something like that happen and then takes a baby from someone. Your God's an asshole. (laughs) That's what I have to say. Because it's not the right, it's not the right baby. Um, I, I, I question all of that. That's a comment that regularly gets thrown about within the infertility community as well, uh, yeah. as well as the like what happens after miscarriage, any type of pregnancy loss, and it makes my blood boil. Mm-hmm. It makes my blood boil, and it and it's similar. I mean, it's similar to the whole everything happens for a reason mantra. Yeah. Which it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good hearing that. There's Mm -hmm. nothing about that that is comforting. No, and I I kind of, to the closer people in my life who used that um, as a way to comfort, I I sort of told them how I felt. Another non-spiritual version of it is that just wasn't your baby. Your real baby's still out there. And I get that sentiment, but she was our baby. She, we thought of her as our baby before she came. We named her before she came. We planned a shower, a shower and a nursery before she came. She was our baby for five days. Uh, she, our the name we chose is on the birth certificate. Changed now, but was like it, it, that's not truthful. It's not a truthful statement to say that wasn't your baby. 
your baby's out there somewhere. No, she was. So, yeah. Sort of a little... A little hint to those listening, if anyone in your life is going through it, like I found what I found the best, the best and and the most useful thing anyone could say was, I don't have the right words. I don't really even know what to say, except that I love you and that we're following. And this is heartbreaking and I feel you. And I, and I, I hope that one day the joy of the, of an actual match that works out replaces this kind of pain. That kind of stuff really helps. Not trying to make up words that don't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also an an attempt to put a Band-Aid on something that, Mm -hmm. like, you just really have no experience with, you know, or. Yeah, you can't, you can't. There is no Band-Aid big enough. Right, right. Um, louder for the people in the back. There is no Band-Aid big enough. No, it's like I, I don't have any, I don't have a friend specifically who's lost a child. Though I, people, yeah, I, I've never had to go to anyone over a death of a child and try to give comfort, but... Uh, I I would not know what to say. I don't have that experience. I have now. I have something sort of parallel, but not the same. But I I there are some things. It's like it's like that lyric in Hamilton, Millie. Some I, I'm going to get it wrong, but a grief <laughs> too too unmentionable to name, or a grief to the Hamiltons losing their their child. There's some lyric about like a grief too hard to name it is too hard to put a name to it it's too hard to to really fix it with words how can people support someone going through a disrupted adoption well they can just do what we were talking about reach out and say i'm thinking of you and you know uh, what has been helpful to me is to hear from family and friends and strangers who followed the journey and watched the steps along the way and, and loved how we approached it all. And, and, and they say things like I saw of of what I saw, I think you guys are going to be great dads. Please don't give up. I mean, we're not going to give up, but the more people that keep reminding us not to give up, it helps. And also sharing, you know, even if you're not, you're not involved in the adoption world or not, or you're, you're not, lgbtq or you're not sharing our pages totally helps because it just means more people might see them you never know who in your circle is pregnant or thinking family planning or weighing their options or whose teenage daughter is going through it or or 20 year old daughters going through it so sharing our instagram um which is clifton and chad adopt and our Facebook page, which is hoping to adopt Clifton and Chad. Um, and then our Adoptimist profile. We're on the major website in the country. And that's where Cameron's mother found us, is Adoptimist. And it's a site where families are on through their agencies, but it's free for mothers. So mothers don't have to pay anything to go on and search for families and reach out and send a message. And it's called Adoptimist. And 
our profiles on there and you just I'm the I think I'm the only Clifton on there but you could just search for Clifton and Chad or Clifton you'll find me and Chad and um that's what people can do is just help us spread the word. We obviously have an agency working on the back end with professionals reaching out to the network of lawyers and social workers and agencies and she's getting cases, you know, all the time and seeing if they match up with our parameters, but the public and friends and strangers can help us just by talking about our family, sharing, sharing our family story. And that story includes the disruption. And we had, you know, we definitely asked our agent, we made the decision to take pictures of us with Cameron off of the sites because they were also too hard for us to look at. But we did keep the letter that I posted about what happened and we kept some of the posts about the disruption. And my question was, you know, are we going to somehow seem tainted to future mothers? Is some mother going to find us and go, wait a minute, like what's wrong with that couple that they had a baby for five days and they don't anymore? But the truth of the matter is if you really look into it, you'll see that we didn't do anything wrong and that the love and, and the way we handled the disruption, which took an immense amount of strength that we had to pull from anywhere we could get it, hopefully will show some future mother that we're a good couple. Absolutely. And if anybody is listening to this podcast episode today, please look up Cla- uh, Chad and Clifton. Clad. In- I love it. Clad. You just gave us, you gave us like one of the Hollywood, the Hollywood like mesh names. That's your new couple <laughs> name. I love it. Clad, clad and Clifton. Clad, clad adopt. So no, no. <laughs> please, please help them and um, find find their match. And you know, from all I, I'm gonna go ahead and be um, very verbose, but I'm going to speak for myself, me, myself, and Millie, and all of us listeners are just rooting for you guys. Thank you. We feel it. And that has sustained us. I promise you that it has helped. It's, we don't feel alone in the process at all. It's hard and it, it changes day to day, but above it all, we're hopeful. Absolutely. Well, we will continue to follow you guys and support you guys from near and far. And thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing with all of us. This has been so enlightening for me. Thank you. It's been, it's wonderful to talk to someone. You're not a stranger at this point to me, but who's not in my immediate life. It really helps. I hope one day years, not years, maybe just a few months from now, we can do another session about what it's like to be a first time dad at 44 ish. I would love it. I can't wait. Thank you. All right, Clifton. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.